Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Dune, starring Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Zendaya, and Jason Momoa. Based on Dune by Frank Herbert, screenplay by John Spates, Denny Villeneuve, and Eric Roth, and directed by Denny Villeneuve. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films. It's time to continue with a, a nut. We have, we've done a couple of these so far this year because everything keeps coming out, but mm-hmm. we're doing another 2021 catch-up cast and three big movies coming out that were supposed to come out at various times last year. Um, some tied to franchises, you know, others long-awaited gestating sequels. Uh, so this is going to be a fun cast to, to catch up. But I think this is, uh, this little factoid is at least reassuring that October 2021 was the highest grossing month since the start of the pandemic. So Good sign. Yeah, we're getting there. So that was Venom, that was Bond, it was Halloween Kills, and it was the film we're talking about today. So a nice kind of slate to mm-hmm. really get the ground moving again on the box office numbers. So it's good. Here we go. Dune from 2021. This was done before in 84 by one Mr. David Lynch. And uh, I think they did mini a miniseries, right? Mini series. Yeah. I think William Hurt's in that. I haven't seen that one, but uh, sci-fi epic. It's about six or seven books in, a, in this series. And it's going to be fun to talk about this world and just kind of, you know, science fiction. You know, it's kind of fun to nerd out about science fiction things sometimes. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, we've done that a time or two on the show, I believe. Yeah, so let's dive right in with our flight question. <laughs> talk about that Hans Zimmer music in this thing he really he really showed up for this film in my opinion but yeah yeah no question uh go ahead and hit us with the the flight question this week I think we both agree that this firmly fits into the category of epic and that got me thinking about previous epics and ones that maybe were not executed so well I think with most epics It's not the idea. It's usually the delivery or how the film ends up being made. Pretty hard to argue with. I think there's 14 books in the Dune series. Um, I know when, is the guy's name Herbert? Well, yeah, Frank Herbert, I think, wrote seven and then James Herbert. He's done at least seven or eight, too. So there's obviously some longevity and staying power there. And it's pretty hard to argue conceptually that it's not working if there's 14 entries because somebody's on board. So with most epics, it has to do with how the film is executed. Mm -hmm. Okay, Dune gives the original Dune and the Dune franchise a chance to be redone. Mm -hmm. So that's the question this week, is I'm going to give you a choice to pick a failed epic film. That can be from source material or however we want to get there. And then you get to redo it in a new makeover way for a better version. So, um, your choice of failed epic redone. Okay. Excellent. Uh, 
I have uh, I have two choices. I have one for what was a failed epic, and the one that was a hit that I think could just be done again with you know a modern sensibility. And it's kind of hard to call this a failure because I know maybe it has its fans, but you know I want a theatrical experience, like kind of what Dune was. You know, like uh, watch it in the theaters. And uh, I'm going to go with Stephen King's The Stand. Uh, talk about another mammoth book of eight font that's thousands of pages long. But the Gary Sinise miniseries, well, serviceable. You know, it's still TV. And then they did it again, didn't they, just recently on CBS All Access, another Dune, um, uh, or sorry, uh, The Stand miniseries. And I didn't watch that because, you know, I want I want theatrical. You know what I mean? I want to see it on the big screen, so... I'm going to go with that one, you know, a worldwide virus. Yeah. <laughs> and then it kind of turns into a walking dead-esque territory. But that's where King's brilliance comes in, his ability to uh, put together interesting characters and lay them in an interesting space. Um, hard for me to call that a failure, but it, I think it's more closer to failure than success uh, in its current iteration. So I want, I want a good stand film. That's what my choice is. That's fair. Okay. So I'm going to give you a director and then let the guessing begin. Okay. Mr. Oliver Stone. Ooh, okay. Uh, it could be JFK, um, Platoon, mm-hmm. Wall Street. Oh, what else did Mr. Stone do that I could qualify as epic? Alexander. Oh, a duh. <laughs> Boy, talk about ripe source material mm. that could be done really well if handled. Look, I think there's a history mm. of sword and sandals-esque films going one of two ways. There's usually not a lot of middle ground there. They're either really well done or they're terrible. Um, yeah, you're right. This tends to fall on the side of terrible. And I guess we could include Cleopatra there and um, Exodus. And there's a lot of oh, bad. Oh, that right? movie Woo! is terrible. Terrible. <laughs> this, however, for me is interesting because I love ancient antiquity Mm -hmm. and Alexander and Macedonia and elephants and all of the great Mm -hmm. conquestual, if that's a word, type things that he goes through. A lot of, a lot of fertile ground there. I forgot about it. Great choice. It needs to be done with someone that is a whole lot less glitz on the screen Mm -hmm. and recognition of the historical value. Honestly, if, Denny Villeneuve did this. Uh, great. Could be really great. So that's that's my choice. And there's several others, but I'm going to go with Alexander. There's a huge problem with Alexander, and it's that they've uh, uh, they've gone back and recut it, I think, at least five times. Four? Four versions. Yeah, there's the theatrical. I think there's a director's cut. There's the revisited cut. And then I think there's a final cut. And I'm like, which one do I even want? Mm-hmm. Probably none of them. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. Again. Um, yeah. Great, great choice. Uh, can I go with the one that was kind of a, a success? Yeah. You know, I really like this film, and uh, I think it was, it's maybe the only epic in this genre that uh, I could ever qualify, and it's it's a mad, 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 mad world. Mm-hmm. So, epic comedy that starred Milton Berle, Sid Caesar, Ethel Merman, Mickey Rooney, Phil Silver, Jonathan Winters, great cast of comedians of that era. Yeah. Why couldn't you do that again? And they did in, with Rat Race in the early 2000s. But I think you could make that same type of like uh, chase caper after money movie with like you get Clooney, Dwayne Johnson, Brad Pitt, Scarlett Johansson and like one film. Like I think that could be done again. Yeah. And people will be willing to play ball and kind of join for like a really impressive ensemble. So good choice. That movie was a hit when it came out. So that doesn't kind of qualify the failure. But the epic scope is something I think can still be done. Nice choice. 
excellent. Well, Dune certainly has its epic qualities, so we're going to get right into the weeds with that and all about the different terms. Actually, I ran into the other room. I had to get my my Dune uh, glossary here of terms and words. Yeah. <laughs> Let's dive right in with our review breakdown of Dune. The Fremen share the deep desert with the giant sandworms, known to the Fremen as Shai Hulud. Long exposure to spice has given the tribe their characteristic blue eyes, the eyes of Ibad. Little else is known of the Fremen, except that they are dangerous and unreliable. Fremen attacks make spice harvesting extremely hazardous. For the Fremen, spice is the sacred hallucinogen, which preserves life and brings enormous health benefits. For the Imperium, spice is used by the navigators of the Spacing Guild to find safe paths between the stars. Without spice, interstellar travel is impossible, making it by far the most valuable substance in the universe. This is kind of the whole movie in a nutshell right here. Uh, I'm not going to compare 2021's Dune to Lynch's Dune too much, and there's quite a bit of difference, but... Just in this, I like that in this version, because there's a lot of terminology, races, uh, concepts to learn. And I like how it's, we're with Paul, the fish out of water, kind of learning along with him through like his projector, through his studies. In Lynch's version, it's Virginia Madsen, like talking to you for three minutes straight about all these same things. And Mm. this is a little bit more integrated, a, a whole lot better, but... For you, just your experience with with Dune, have have you read the book at all? No, my only experience, this is actually funny, is the original David Lynch film. Mm -hmm. Before I ever even knew who David Lynch was, Mm -hmm. what was that, 84? Yeah, so I was actually home from school, sick one day, and um, old enough to kind of take care of myself, and I had some little bronchial thing, and I decided that what I was going to do is I was going to get up. I was going to, you know, let my mom see me off and I was going to walk to 7-Eleven and buy some candy Mm -hmm. and come home and watch Dune on HBO. Nice. Little did I know that that gummy rat that I bought and the sweet tarts would last for about a third of what I think at the time was the longest movie I had ever seen. Mm -hmm. And the only recognizable face in that film for me at the time, sadly, was Sting. Mm. So I kept waiting for Sting to show up, and his part really isn't that big. Mm-hmm. And I remember the the movie ending and looking at like, my God, what's the runtime of that original? I think two twenty. That's not that long now, but it was back in those days. Well, this movie's longer, and sure. it's half the story, half, <laughs> which speaks to part of the problems that Lynch actually said about the first one. But it didn't leave a great taste in my mouth, sure. and I wasn't um, <clears throat> eager to delve into it anymore i did watch it again in parts just because i thought the worms were were really cool yeah but i guess that answer is pretty lukewarm after the first few i can't it wasn't terrible no i think that's part of the problem with the 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 world of dune is it just hasn't been done justice like some other science fiction properties have so did you go back and review the original before you did this one? Yeah, I did half of it. Did you? Kind of up to, to where this 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 film ends. So. And better now than it was then? How did it you age? You can definitely tell the Lynch, the Lynchy aspects. It's probably his less his least David Lynch film that he's ever done, because that was like his first commercial Dino De Laurentiis Universal mm. effort. So it's toned down a bit, but 
Yeah, it's 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 not bad. I mean, there's stuff in that first half that you know alludes to what we're going to get in the second part of this film, kind of the overarching puppet masters of it all. This this uh, grand supreme emperor and everything, but it's that's intertwined a little bit more. But it's kind of a, a little bit of, of this story too, just a little bit, you know, lesser special effects. Uh, I think the production design of that movie is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick Stewart is the Josh Brolin role in that one, probably one of his kind of first prominent roles for Mr. Patrick Stewart. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to say the least. It's hard to call it terrible, but it's hard to call it amazing either, if, if that's a rating for you. <laughs> what I like about this one is that narrative. Mm-hmm. Here is this, this resource that's in limited supply, this spice. And you have factions and essentially what's a feudal society. This mm-hmm. is essentially a feudal fiefdom yep. where land is granted by the emperor to the noble that seems most capable at the time and most willing to do the emperor's bidding, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. One system of beliefs is that the spice is necessary for travel. The other system's belief is that the spice is necessary for wellness. Mm-hmm. It's a nice inherent conflict. Mm-hmm. There's a limited supply. Good start. Yeah. Really good start. Yeah, I like that it's economically based because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's something that's mined. It's it's a plentiful resource. The, the natives on there, the Fremen, see the, the health properties. They're very much the Western medicine version mm-hmm. of the spice and how it's used. It's turned their eyes blue, in fact, mm-hmm. a long exposure. But it also, it kind of makes you hallucinate a little bit if you have too much long exposure. So they developed these breathing suits to be able to filter that out properly. And then they filter out their own body and sweat into recyclable water. Yeesh. Gross. Very. <laughs> uh, but the Grand Emperor, they used it to develop interstellar travel. So in order to get from one side of the galaxy to the other, they need this as fuel. To That's brilliant. I, I love all of that. And entirely relatable to, mm-hmm. in a science fiction world, mm-hmm. our world, yeah, right? Yeah. With the use of whether you want to go with oil mm-hmm. or money or power, there's lots of things that you can substitute for spice that work just the same. So that's a good start. So here's the breakdown kind of on the on the plot of this. Kind of what the things we ha- we haven't seen in this version, and I'm kind of interested to show see how they portray it in the next one is this grand uh, emperor. His name is bear with me one second. Yeah, I looked it up too. Yeah, I have it. Uh per- Padisha Emperor Shaddam Karino the Fourth. Uh, he's going to play a big part in the, in the, in the coming entry, but he's, uh, anticipating, uh, the growing power of House Atreides and what that means for the galaxy. And Oscar Isaac says it later. And I thought this was really cool. Like we have air and sea power here. Now, if we go there and kill it, we'll have desert power. Right. And now we'll have a way to stand on our own in the galaxy. And this worries the, the emperor. So He's doing, he's pulling a little sneaky one here on, on this house. He's going to pull out the interim family, House Harkonnen. you got to leave the planet. You've been there for 80 years, and they're pissed off. They don't know why they're being pulled off. Uh, Dave Batista's like, he's like, why? He's like, why would they pull us off? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's to essentially um, stage a coup and trap them, kind of kind of create like a, a booby trap for them. They're setting them up to fail. All the machinery down there when they get down to Arrakis is broken. It's non-functional. So if they don't get things back in line, you know, they're they're done. And if they put all their stock here on this planet, now they're going to lose all that, you know, 
influence and power that they've been building gears for. So that's behind the scenes. That's what the villain is is doing. What do, what do you think of that? This kind of let me eliminate one of my enemies by setting him up to fail. You pick up a little bit on that at the beginning with the treaty that's signed and the scroll that comes out and just how maybe haunting that is. Oh, you have sound great. By the grace of Shaddam Fourth of House Carino, ascendant to the golden lion throne of Padisha, Emperor of the known universe, I stand before you as herald of the change. We're witnessed by members of the Imperial Court, representatives of the Spacing Guild, and a sister of the Bene Gesserit. The Emperor has spoken. House Atreides shall immediately take control of Arrakis and serve as its steward. Do you accept? We are House Atreides. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides accepts. Atreides! 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 And those two lines by leader right there might as well be his eulogy. Yeah, exactly. The power, the strength, the confidence that House Atreides mm -hmm. represents yeah. is such a scary opposition force mm -hmm. to the Emperor that it just seems right. And I feel like, especially Rebecca Ferguson, and I do want to get into her a little bit because I actually have her. some issues with her in this film. Yeah. And that's not like me with mm -hmm. her because mm -hmm. I think she walks on water mostly. Yeah. She kind of picks up on it and there's a few glances that are exchanged mm -hmm. and there does seem to be an undercurrent of uh, clandestine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, a, it's acknowledged. Mm -hmm. There's a pacing to, to villain the wave yeah. and his control, right? Yeah. There's a pacing in that that lets the audience kind of go like, man, this just doesn't quite seem as joyous as it should be. Mm -hmm. And there's a little, a little something that's off. And yes, clearly. Definitely. I think that's one of also Denny Villeneuve's uh, strength as a director is his control of, you know, what he wants everyone to see, whether that's Prisoners mm -hmm. or Sicario. Yeah. Blade Runner 2049, like he really presents and shows us everything that, you know, we need to see even the clandestine aspects of this. But you mentioned Rebecca Ferguson. Let's just talk about this cast really quick, and then we'll kind of set the stage for our journey to Arrakis. I, pretty good cast here. Uh, well, we've sang our praises about Rebecca Ferguson, and that movie wasn't amazing, <laughs> to no. say the least. But we have young Timothy Chalamet here. He's between him, Tom Holland, and Pattinson. Like, these guys are, like, the guys in Hollywood right now that are, like, leading a lot of really big franchises uh, and mm -hmm. a lot of stake being put into those franchises as well. Whether it's Spider-Man Uncharted, he's doing a Wonka movie, Pattinson's doing Batman. There's a lot on the line for a lot of these huge films and whether or not they're going to take off or not. We have Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac. I'm a big fan of him. Last time we talked about him was The Rise of Skywalker. What a dis disaster that whole debacle was. Yeah. Josh Brolin, uh, Dave Batista, Jason Momoa, Stalin Skarsgård. And I can't wait to get to him because I had kind of a revelation when I was watching about, I'm going to see if you could pick up on it. 
uh, Javier Bardem, and then Zendaya. You know, she's really big too, and her part's very limited, but she's going to play a big role in in the the next one. An ensemble, man, man. I haven't seen a cast like this in a really long time. That I was just like, everyone's you know really solid in this film. Um, but let's talk about Paul and Lady Jessica and their relationship specifically. Yeah. So. The Lady Jessica is a member of the Bene Gesserit. For all intents and purposes of this podcast, let's just call them like the, the G- witches, the gypsy clan. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. They're the truth sayers to the Grand Emperor. So they tell them omens of the future, omens of the past. They speak on their dreams. They give them psychic protection. Um, and what they've kind of done. Hang on. i got to go to my Dune glossary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you really do have something. Uh their whole kind of purpose is to bring about the awakening of the Kwisat Haderach, uh, otherwise known as the Chosen One. And so the Bene Gesserit wait, and uh, at their production, their selective breeding program is designed to go all across the galaxy and see if you can make this happen. And so that's what Jessica's done is she's had this – they're not even married, her and Oscar Isaac. The word they use is concubine. Right. <laughs> Or right. muse or stuff. Mm-hmm. So he kind of keeps her around, you know, because that's for his needs, but also to be mother to Paul yeah. and be a mother figure for her. Um, but she's birthed this child that has, and she's given him those psychic powers that he has, the ability to, you can gas for that water, but you need to tell it to me without opening your mouth, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting. So now Paul is now a child of both worlds. He's a child of military stewardness, and he's a child of, Psychic gypsy witches. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but let's talk about her. I, I'm interested to hear your qualms with uh, Rebecca Ferguson. It's not in her performance. I think she plays this soothsaying gypsy witch just fine. It is her, in this film particularly, mm-hmm. her inability to articulate anything oh, yeah. that is understandable. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so sub- I will subtitles for her. Okay, yeah, I will admit to everybody on here that an Irish, which I believe she is, accent for me or heavy English is sometimes difficult to sift through. Mm-hmm. I can't watch Peaky Blinders, yeah. although I want to, yeah, because I can't understand a single syllable. Yeah, very too cockney or like it's it's too the dialect is too hard to pinpoint. She is so whispery and quiet and almost mono pantameter syllabic. Yeah. That I can't understand a God blessed <laughs> word she says. It's, it's, just, she it's frustrating because she's important with that dialogue. I know she is. So, like, first viewing, yeah, I did have some of those issues. I was like, yeah, I kind of picked up on that. I'll just kind of roll with it. You know what I mean? But on second viewing, I was like, I'm putting these subtitles on. I, you I'm, did. Oh, yeah, okay. And I'm wow. going to. And I'll tell you this. Second viewing subtitles. Mm-hmm makes this an even kind of better experience because you kind of get entrapped into the world of the terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear, understand it a little bit better. So I recommend everyone watch this a, a few times to fully grasp what they're throwing at you. I guess that makes sense because if it's the word that's new to you as you have your Dune glossary out so we can remember the words, mm-hmm. if you hear it and then see the spelling of it yeah. and it's such a unique spelling, that would certainly help. That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so... Yeah, but she's pretty good. You know, she's you know they, um, they they dress her in these kind of you know royal esque you know kind of garments, but she's she's still pretty Rebecca Ferguson. But they even kind of downplay that a little mm-hmm. bit more with her too. Mm-hmm. She's meant to be more stoic and cold, 
And there, there's a scene later in the movie where, like, her and Paul are, like, changing in the desert. And there's kind of, like, an exchange. Between yeah. Them, and I was like, wait a minute. I don't know what they're doing with that. But me too. That's, was, that's wild. Yes, and it is. maybe we'll see that progress. Because I'll tell you this. I haven't gotten that far in the book. I got kind of pretty close to where this ends in my initial. It, it's, it's a chore to read. Mm-hmm. Not because it's bad. Just because it's long. Sure. You really have to commit. But. So we had them. So here's kind of what's going on. And then I got two sound clips we're going to play and we're going to dissect those. And then we're going to be off to Arrakis. Uh, Paul's very eager, you know, this chosen one character. And for all intents and purposes, we can compare him to the likes of whether it's Harry Potter or Anakin Skywalker, Mm -hmm. all these fantasy science fiction films, Frodo Baggins, that are deemed with some sort of powers and they're ability to come forth and their call to arms is going to bring about some sort of peace or balance or you know sanctity for the world that they inhabit now i'll tell you i don't think that's handled very well with star wars at all especially with those prequel films you get it better in three films without ever seeing anakin skywalker yes well said um i think it's done pretty well in star wars and i'm really intrigued with what they're doing with with his character and this scene in particular what if I'm not dead? Not what? The future of House Atreides. I told my father I didn't want this either. I wanted to be a pilot. Father said, a great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it. And he answers. And if your answer is no, you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. My son. Troubling any time we get in a science fiction that speech from dad till son, right? But what a cool dad. I mean, yeah. how many stories of royalty and military servitude have we got where, A, the father's disappointed because he doesn't have male heir to pass on his lineage to, yeah. and then, B, forcing them into it when they want no part of it. Yeah. Here you have a dad that's like, hey, I didn't want to do this either. I kind of found my own path towards it, and when the time was necessary, I knew it was time. And maybe that time will come for you. Maybe it won't, but it doesn't change how I feel about you. And I was like, oh, my heart. (laughs) That's good stuff there. And it's going to kind of make, you know, when when he leaves a a little bit more impactful. But I think a different path for the chosen one when he says great men don't don't find ways to lead there. You know, they're called to it. They don't seek it out. So I think the path is laid for Paul. I mean, he's just there as observer, just gleaning education while he can. But what do you think of that? I love the speech by dad and what we've seen prior to this, or maybe around this with Paul, I think is interesting. According to um, the myth or the legacy, Mm -hmm. Rebecca Ferguson is to give birth to the female, whatever title that was that you gave. um, Oh, the Benny Gesserit. Yeah. There's a a female heir Mm -hmm. that's supposed to bring about the blah, 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 whatever it is. Paul is not female. Mm -hmm. So we get that great bit with him 
with the Benny Gesserit leader where he's got his hand in that box, which kind of felt like Flash Gordon a little bit, didn't it? Mm -hmm. um, to see if he can fight off the pain. Well, that test is awesome because awesome. Uh, they should do this. They should have been doing this throughout history mm -hmm. is because they do this test to weed out heirs to thrones that they are going to inherit too much power. And you hear that, Nero? Yeah. If they're unable to control their impulses, here's my gum jabba. And I'm just going to end you right now. So you just pulled gum jabba. You knew that? Yeah, I know that one. Oh, yeah. my God. That, to that, how impressive gum jabba. The gum, the gum jabba is a poison needle tipped with metacyanide used by the Bene Gesserit. So to say that this is a high-stakes test is an understatement mm -hmm. because if he pulls it out, it's curtains. Mm -hmm. He passes. So there does seem to be something different or promising about him. Yeah. A potential. Compare that to the speech mm -hmm. that he's just given with his father, which yeah. is, look, man, if you're not any of those things and you're just my son, that was plenty. Two frames of thought. Two ways to parent your child. <laughs> which I think, right, which I think for this first half of, of this Dune saga is something that we really do see Paul struggle with. Mm -hmm. Exactly where does he fit? Mm -hmm. Add now to this as we go forward, which we're going to get to here, I'm sure, in just a minute, is the, the hallucinations that he has. Yeah, his dreams, his hallucinations of inevitable. Now, those are important, too, because some of them are omens of the future, but some of them aren't. It's, yeah, some of them are dead wrong. Some right? of them go an another path, so it's kind of left up for him to live out that. It's a pretty torturous existence that he's trying to find himself in here. Well, he lets mom have it pretty good in the tent there. He's like... You turn me into, and I have, I have a sound clip of that too, but he, he lets her have it pretty good. And that, okay, so that's the third spoke in this wheel, then, if you want to do it, which is mom. And if you go back, and you mentioned it a little while ago, to the scene when she says, if you want water, you have to use this voice power. And he's kind of unable to do it to her satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Wrong pitch or this and that. Yeah. She kind of gives it to him. And that, I mean, that's going to play out later on in the film because they're going to use that to kind of save their hides. But... You have three different role models mm -hmm. that Paul is being nurtured by, if you want to call that. And dad, to your original point, mm -hmm. seems to be the one that's the most understanding and compassionate, which is a role usually reserved for mom. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if you want to play the Star Wars thing, mm -hmm. the Bene Gesserit leader is a much more bloodthirsty Yoda. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Right, and I'm talking in the way we're talking Luke here. Mm -hmm. I would argue that Ben. Okay, so Ben is kind of close to Dad, and I don't know who the hell in that story. <laughs> is the mother figure? There is none. <laughs> so uh, I just think, regardless of whether the correlation is all the way there with Star Wars and his upbringing <clears throat> or not, I think you have a nice character that we're building, and you can see him struggle with these different demands. And he's got a. Apart from the inappropriate changing scene, they have a cool relationship, too. Like, they have their own sign language that they use to communicate with each other. Yeah. Like, this one's deaf or mm -hmm. don't do this. Like, it's mm -hmm. a, a way for them to communicate that no one else is able to understand. Um, no, yeah, I think that's that's pretty well done. But the, the Bene Gesserit gypsies, they're, they're crafty little people. So here's what they've been up to. You were told to be only daughters. But you and your pride thought you could produce the Kwisatz Haderach. Was I wrong? You're lucky he didn't die in that room. If he is the one, he has a long way to go. His sight is barely awakened, and now he goes into the fire. But our plans are measured in centuries. We have other prospects. If he fails his promise. 
produce thee so little hope. On Arrakis, we have done all we can for you. A path has been laid. Let's hope he doesn't squander it. A couple things. I get the idea that the Bene Gesserit don't like Lady Jessica too much, and maybe it's because of this concubinous relationship she has with Duke Leto Atreides. Uh, but they're the puppet masters. They've already, like they, they said, well, if it ain't him, we got other ones we could go and see if, if they'll live up to the hype. It's all about finding your path, call the arms, and they've already done the work on Arrakis. These little gypsies have been going around that planet saying, he's coming, and this is what he is, this is what he's going to do. So when they say the path is laid, uh, that he just has to kind of walk through it and go through the, through the motions. Kind of interesting, you know what I mean? That, yeah. And they're like the secretaries to the Grand Emperor, dude. If Paul, by default, is the protagonist or main character in the story, which I think he is, I, you're getting a really good landscape of all of the forces that have lined up against him. And that makes what's going to be his arc all the more meaningful. If this woman is saying, look, he's disposable, there's plenty more. We've already set plenty of information or traps everywhere he goes. We're not happy that he's not a, a female anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure at this point. Um other than dad, and that's not for much longer. Mm -hmm. Who's on his side? Yeah. He literally is, I mean, mom is... He's got is, Duncan but, Idaho, his, his buddy. Oh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, okay, so there is the militaristic element, I think, that will help him. But this also struck me about the Paul character. Okay. When you compare him to Josh Brolin, who I think is like the the arms guy, like the munitions mm -hmm. guy. The Gurney. Or Duncan Idaho, the Jason Momoa character, which is essentially the swashbuckling pilot, fisticuff guy. I want to get two dogs. I'm going to name one of them Duncan Idaho, and I'm going to name the other one Mr. Joshua. Okay. <laughs> Duncan Idaho is a great name. Great name, yeah. I can't think of a role mm -hmm. that Paul is less <clears throat> equipped for than either one of those two things. They cast him specifically and didn't bulk him up mm -hmm. to be kind of spindly and wiry. And he's written like that, too. Yeah. I mean, Kyle McLaughlin ain't oh, yeah. a bodybuilder, either. I mean, they, <laughs> no. they went with lengthy, kind of just, like, young lads. Uh, so this is this is all really... So we're on our way to Arrakis to go take over our stewardship of that planet and the spice mining. But let's talk about the Harkonnens. Yeah. What kind of cool, interesting villains, you know, they're all in black, everything's gray and bleak and oily and disgusting... And when I saw Baron Harkonnen, Stellan Skarsgård, come out of like whatever like spa bath he was in, I was like, oh my god! If this film was made in the late seventies, there's only one person who would be playing this part, and he'd be showing up super unprepared. They wouldn't even need to Brando. put makeup. Yeah, Marlon Brando is playing this character to the point where I had to. I went and did research and. Stellan Skarsgård, uh, when he's in that thing, kind of like wipes his brow like this, is a nod to Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. So How about that? that was on to something. You were, yeah. <laughs> what a disgusting thing. Great makeup effects. And that levitation aspect of him is very unsettling, mm -hmm. but they they still kind of don't like know why like they're being taken off the planet, but they know what they, they have to do. Like, we're going to go there. We've sabotaged. They got a guy hanging out in the catacombs of their thing that's going to VR drone a hunter-killer uh, uh, 
deadly wasp of some sort. Uh, like the plan's in place to eliminate this entire family and their production of the spice. That way they can take over again and then sell what they have and keep it going. I love the economic, the economics of it all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they're in it for the boon um, and they just got to kind of get them out of the way. The emperor's at uh, goal is power. So Atreides just has to come in and just keep them at bay and just find a way to survive. Let's talk about just the aesthetic of, of Dune and kind of, this is what I really liked about it. And when we get to like my ratings, I'm going to be hard on, on a few other franchises, but here they do a good job of making this its own thing. Uh, I have my glossary of terms. So we've already established the, the words that they try choose to call these things. Yeah. Their shielding system. Yeah, I love, I'm glad you brought this up. I love this too. That is really cool. Yes. It's a way for them to A, practice combat, but then while in combat, give you a little bit of an advantage against your enemy. But if the blade penetrates too deep through the shield, you'll you'll die. Yeah. A cool visual aspect of, of this world. The other one I really liked was their ships on the planet, almost kind of like pseudo dragonflies. Dragonflies, yeah. So when the propellers build up enough momentum... It creates the illusion of flight for them. And then we get to, you know, the sand crawler bit and then the, the space worm. Well, the graboid from Tremor is just mm-hmm. thousands of feet bigger. They do a good job of making this world not seem like anything like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or Marvel or anything along those lines. I think Villeneuve and crew and Hans Zimmer has a lot to say about this with the music he decided to make for this. It's unique and it's refreshing, you know what I mean? To like be in sci-fi fantasy space that doesn't feel treaded, you know what I mean? Like we've been here before. Okay, you just, yes. Shortly, yes. Mm -hmm. Think about all of the science fiction that has been on on celluloid Mm -hmm. to this point. A ton. A ton. Yeah. To find a way to give us a new looking environment Mm -hmm. is a monumental achievement. Yeah. Villeneuve. Villeneuve. How do you say it? I think it's Villeneuve. We want to say Villeneuve because... Where we are. Yeah, but it's Villeneuve. Yeah. Villeneuve is a master when it comes to the way his films look. Even Mm -hmm. something like Prisoners. Prisoners is also... I mean, that's a stark, bleak film. It's a really nice looking film. It's a striking looking film. Yeah. So to take... A well-tilled field of science fiction foreign planets... Mm -hmm. And give us a new look. I just have to say, congrats to him. And then to those shields on those suits that they wear. I love the vibration piece to that. Mm-hmm. And what's so good on that is when that tracker jacker, I forget what they're called, but then that I think they're called hunter seekers. Hang on. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So when the hunter seeker is penetrating that. You can see... Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. A hunter-seeker, a, a sliver of suspensor buoyed metal guided as a weapon by a nearby control console or individual, a common assassination device. Yeah. <laughs> when it's penetrating that vibrating shield, you can see the shield fighting back and the slope. It, it's, it's amazing looking mm-hmm. the way those penetrate the safety apparatus built into those suits. And what's nice about the world, too, is, I don't know if you noticed, but there's not an over-reliance on technology. Like, there's not computer screens galore and holograms and this. Like, this is probably the most advanced thing we see in the film, Yeah, is these shields. Everything else is very rudimentary. Uh, 
the spice crawler is very mechanical. It's very industrial. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's very stone architecture. It, very, it looks very as Aztec and Mayan. That they're um, Arcanan, the, the the capital city there on Arrakis. So it looks lived in, and it reminds me of Alien. You know what I mean? Like the Nostromo is a lived in space trucker, blue collar mm-hmm. working environment. And I get this that vibe here too. Yeah. Uh, because any other science fiction would be like, oh, just we hologram this, we have lasers. Like, I don't even think there's lasers. Or there's lasers on like the artillery cannons, but like they're not like they're fighting with swords. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's hand-to-hand combat. Uh it's really, really simple, but it makes it I think it makes it stand out compared to what we've seen in the last 20 years with this genre. So I'm gonna ask you a tough question here. Okay. You get to pick one. Mm. Which one did it better as far as that mm. unfamiliar aesthetic environment? This Ooh. or Mad Max Fury Road? Oh, God. Yeah, tough, huh? The reason I'm saying that is when you brought up the Marlon Brando out of the pits in Apocalypse Now, it reminded mm-hmm. me of Fury Road a little bit, the way that... Of a Morton Joe? Yeah. I'm going to give the slight nod to this film. Yeah, okay. I think it has more it needs to establish, but that Desert Wasteland and Mad Max, that, that kicks ass, too. It's rusty, it's burnt orange, it's powder reds, it's mm-hmm. neon blues, like that. that's a wild color palette and aesthetic that they go for in that, but here I think they need to pepper up larger galaxy, and they succeed in, on that front. Okay. Oh man, that's a tough question. Yeah, that's a very tough question. <laughs> so here we are on the planet, finally, um, the locals are seeing Paul as the prophecy, and it's everything that the Bene Gesserit has laid forth, and the second that they start trying to do any type of production... Well, these kind of, they're all old, they're broken down. We got we go and have our kind of really big action scene here with the sandworm and this thing malfunctions. We can't lift it out of there. So the, the, we already see the setup to fail. They tried to assassinate Paul with the hunter seeker. Uh, a lot at play here, but when we get to that uh, first sequence with the sandworm and we see a couple things, and the Oscar Isaac character, you know, a natural leader would be like, well, I'm not going to bother about the people because I'm only concerned about the money, about the product. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, screw the product. I need workers. So let me save the workers. We'll figure that out later. And this is when Paul has another, he gets a kicked up dust of spice and hallucinates hardcore here in the planet. Uh but what do you think? That like this was something that stood out to you in the Lynch version, where these sandworms. What did you think of them in, in this one? Also, very you know formidable because of their sheer size. They can pick up your foot mm-hmm. on the sand as an irregular movement. It's a pretty terrifying thing, that, and you can't. I mean, you can see it because it's rippling, but it's so fast. They got to do the sand walk, the sand dance. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> they got to do a rhythmic uh, walk through the sand so that it doesn't pick up on their foot walking patterns. And when this thing shows up and just devours that sand crawler, um, as they just barely escape, it's like, wow! Like, not only do we have to deal with the elements, a desert dune wasteland that has. Uh, sandstorms galore. We got to deal with these things out in the desert too. That's why they built a big seawall for them. That way they don't come into the city. Mm-hmm. The odds are really stacked against anyone that decides to take up the contract to mine spice. Yeah. The reward is plentiful, but the risk is super high. Yeah. I like all that. You know what I mean? We're talking about risk reward. We're talking about economics. We're talking about feudal systems. We're talking about 
when we talk about the Fremen and how this is their native land that you is only mined for their resource and they're just kind of disposed of, Javier Bardem comes in as his name. Yeah, I'll 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 get I'll get his name. Sling Stinger. Stilger. Stilger. Yeah, Stilger. He kind of comes in and Oscar Isaac is smart. He he says, in order to get this desert power that I speak of, I have to get these people on our side. So what I can't prove is that I'm just mining their planet for resources. I need to take care of them also. And through that, we can make an alliance. They can join our military forces. And what we learn about the Fremen, these are like the best fighters in the galaxy. Like these people are equipped because they're hardened by their environment. They are, have lived the elements. They have figured out the elements. And they're all the better for it. Kind of a cool little, like, the sand people, the Tuscan right? This is like <clears throat> that of, of here. But yeah. we're trying to make them allies because they are so bitter. Yeah. Javier Bardem in this thing. Like, just another actor, you know, in, in, in you know, bringing it in this. But what do you think of, you know, and then there's, a, there's the Fremen kind of go-between that's part native and then part overseeing the, the transition. So there's a few things Leanne going on. Kynes, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was played by Max von Sydow in uh, the, mm -hmm. the Lynch version. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of elements at play here, but once we get to the moment where they, they've been waiting for, which is we're coming with the Armada, House Harkonnen has gone and retrieved uh, the Emperor's uh, private uh, military force the Sadukar, which is an army. I call it the beatboxing planet because it's like... Brah, 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 brah. Mm -hmm. And there's something else weird going on on that planet, too. They got blood that they're, you know, wiping in there. And they got, like, a bunch of people just laid up on, like, things. And they're just, like, draining their blood for, like, a blood cavern. Mm. It's raining. It's gross. It's disgusting. It's like, this is doing everything that... They, all the shit that they tried to do with Snoke and uh, uh, Domino Gleason and all that mm -hmm. stuff that went nowhere. Like, this is that. Yeah. Just way more interesting. And it, it, their costumes, their look, their authoritative stamp when they show up, they're very efficient fighters. Uh, a formidable presence. Mm -hmm. I mean, when they blast this, this city, it's like, oh, they're done. They're toast. They're not going to be able to fix this uh, spice mining production. Oscar Isaac gets a, a, one of these tracker jackers. That's, no, that's Hunger Games. I know. Uh, one of the hunter seekers uh, penetrates through the back, essentially paralyzes him. Uh, and then we kind of learned the little switcheroo here, which is their, this is a very prominent character in the book, and I don't know if they really didn't do a whole lot with the character other than being a wise sage for Paul, his teacher of sorts, Dr. Yue has kind of opened up the floodgates for Harkonnen to come in, kind of uh, pulling a fast one, backstabbing them a bit. But it's because Baron has his wife and child held hostage, and so... I got a choice. I don't have a choice, but I'm going to give you a choice, Duke Leto Atreides. I'm going to take out your, your molar, uh, and I'm going to replace it with one list of cyanide. And when the moment comes, you can do what none of us can, uh, just pick your moment wisely, but you are going to die. And... What choice does he have? He's he's nonverbal, <laughs> right? But crazy sequence. Do you feel kind of 
how dour it's going to get for this family with with this just the raining of fire the impending forces we don't even know what happens to john brolin at this point Mm -hmm. whether he died or got out duncan's able to get out uh mother and son uh paul and lady jessica and that's kind of about it and then the rest of the city just goes up in flames as harkonnen prepares to resume production for themselves so um Plato Atreides, who was so certain at the beginning of the film that this was the right play for his family, because that would give them essentially three fiefdoms with three different elements mm-hmm. based in those fiefdoms. Boy, they crucify him on the cross of ambition. Mm-hmm. That's one thing, and it's, it's hard to watch that. And I love that um, the doctor that's forced into this backstabbing position double crosses the Harkonnen family with the cyanide tooth that he gives to um, Leto Atreides. Mm-hmm. But if Paul loses Leto and is separated from Duncan Idaho mm-hmm. and whatever Brolin's character's name is, essentially, he's on his own. I know he has his mother. Yeah. But, okay. <sighs> yeah. It feels really, really dire. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it is. It, like, they lose their whole... Everything. Kingdom. Yeah. yeah. Except for a few stragglers that are able to get away on the two or three dragonfly helicopters that they escaped with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's bleak, man. I don't want to say it, it, it's a bleak moment. Super bleak. And then we get that moment. So they're in the tent uh, and they're just kind of going through their possessions. And he's like, oh, what a doctor. It's a note from him, what he did, why he did it, uh, what he's left us. And then we got Baron over there eating like Marlon Brando. <laughs> mm. You have a good kitchen. And he comes up to him real close and he kills Dr. Yue and he says, yeah, I'm not going to give you back because I already killed her. So what you did for it was for not. And then he gets up real close and Leto mumbles to him and then bites down on the tooth and then gasses everyone in this room. Like uh, his little truth sayer guy that he's got his own little I think of a jig going on. Everyone bites the bullet except because he put a shield on. And then his power of levitation, he's like all curled up in the corner when they come and get him. But he's, he's in bad shape. Like he's got to go into the oil dunk tank for however many days mm-hmm. to recover from his injuries. Just disgusting. Yeah. So they had a chance and, and, and they failed. But now House Atreides is without its leader. Uh, they're without, you know, everything that they came here to do. And then, you know, Paul is still just like he's like he's tripping on the spice and he's having these hallucinations. And he's seeing crazy stuff. A war in my name! Everyone shouting my name! Paul. Paul Atreides. You are your father's son. You are my son. You are the Duke. Paul Atreides. You know who you are. You know who you are. Get off me! You did this to me! You better Jezra made me a freak! And he's really going through it too. He's feeling the burden of now being the head head boy of his family. Uh, not really accepting these powers and this calling that his mother's people have laid out for him. I mean, this is the moment, so. Paul's either going to decide to go one of two ways. He's going to not decide to go the path of 
he's supposed to, uh, or he's going to go down that road and become who he's supposed to be. Which, my friend, mm -hmm. way out of time on this, yeah. is the quintessential moment for our hero in the hero's journey to Courtney Campbell. This is the inciting incident. Yeah. I'm either going to go or I'm not. I think the other thing that's remarkable about this, I'm glad you picked up on that one, yeah. was in this movie that is so off-world and so unfamiliar to us, mm -hmm. that is about as grounded as natural human reaction as you can get. Yeah. If you just watched your dad die, yeah. if you watched your entire community destroyed, and you're nothing but one of two or three exiles or escapees, with literally no resources in the middle of a vast barren desert stuck in a tent, that's about the emotional response that I would expect. Mm -hmm. And then you look at your mother who's trying to turn you into some fucked up weird witch that <laughs> the clan doesn't even want you to be part of because you're not a girl. Yeah. I mean, furious is just the beginning of the emotion that mm -hmm. you would start with. Yeah. Yeah. Really well done here. Mm -hmm. Again, grounding, being able to ground the, hmm, what's the word I want here? Off-world or other world in that regard is, again, being in really solid position of story and script control. Mm -hmm. One thing, the Campbell's hero's journey, I think, is just so applicable to so many different things. And then when you see it, you just you pick up on it right away. What makes it what's going to make it interesting from time to time is being able to do that in different environments and situations. So Harry Potter's got to stand on its own in a wizarding world, and Frodo Baggins in Middle Earth and his quest to destroy the ring, and yeah. Skywalker's plight to destroy the the Empire. Here it's Paul. Am I going to follow in my father's footsteps and take control of this house, which has essentially been dealt a huge death blow? Mm. Uh, and finish finish what he started, or am I just gonna just wander this desert and just make a new life for myself? <laughs> like it's a it's a real decision he has to make. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're uh, they run into Duncan finds them and they're able to take him to like another kind of resistance uh, base. So that's kind of another thing you'd call the Fremen is you know the resistance fighters of planet Arrakis. But they show up. Duncan is is killed there. Uh, you know trying to ward them off, and Keynes is able to to get them away. Uh, not before she's almost dealt the death blow before the sandworms come up. And what's really cool about those sandworm sequences is when they show up because of the tremoring in the ground, like, like earthquakes is like, it's almost like the, the desert like pulls them in. Like they start sinking like quicksand. undertow almost. Right? Yeah. They start sinking like quicksand and then they just get devoured by, by the sandworms, yeah. you know, picking up on every, uh, every bit of piece of noise. But you know, it, this is like I think that first moment of Paul's call to action, which is a vision he has of a man that he's going to kill in, a, in about 30 minutes saying, when you need to let go, you need to let go and you just need to like let it happen. So they escaped through a dust storm and he was like, this is going to take us where we need to go to. And he just straps in, doesn't touch the controls and just lets the environment do the work for them. So when they show up and crash... They're right there in the caverns with uh, this Fremen army that Duncan spent so much time with establishing these relationships mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. But it's fun that the advice, the image, or the, the vision is this man that he's going to do battle with. And when he sees him this time, he's very hostile towards him. So 
those visions are very interesting. We get a couple of them where Paul's in gold armor and he's fighting amongst the masses. He's got blue eyes of his own. Um, there's one where we see him die, where he's killed by uh, uncolored Chobini, but that's uh, frozen yogurt. Uh, <laughs> or that's, that's yogurt. Greek yogurt. Yeah. Chani, yeah. Uh, Zendaya's character. There's scenes where we see her kill him. So can you imagine, Matt? Can you imagine... A, the burden that's been placed at your feet, but then you're you're tripping out on these visions, you're dreaming these crazy things, and you don't know which one to believe in, which one to follow, which one to prepare yourself against. Mm-hmm. You're, you'd almost be on edge the entire time. Yeah. But once we get to this canon, now, this is the big test. This is, Dad's gone, Duncan's gone, I'm here, and what I want to do is, you know, you know, prove our our house and our relationship and if we can come to some mutual ground we can you know be beneficial for each other and we can work together mm-hmm. and they have a very specific code and that's you know you got to fight our best fighter and this and that but what do you think and this is there we say the closing of the the, the film and it's for the people that weren't huge fans of, of this particular entry, we're like, well, it ends, you know, kind of abruptly. It was like, yeah, because it's half a story, people. Right. Like, we had to come to some midpoint, but I think that ending, it's fitting that the ending of this film is like his first really big test. There's been a couple moments where I think we've seen him training a little bit. Mm-hmm. I guess he's okay. He's okay at it. He can do pretty good with, you know, weapons and whatnot. Earlier I said that they cast him specifically as sort of wiry and thin. Mm -hmm. I think in this scene against, is it Jairus? Is that the guy's fighting? I can't remember that guy's name. Um, Look it up. Yeah, Jamis. Mm -hmm. I think that serves him well. He's much more nimble than Jamis is. And the big blows that Jamis seems to be quite capable of finishing off opponent. Who knows how many times he's done this before, but I bet it's not the first. Mm-hmm. Miss wildly when it comes yeah. to Paul. And, you know, he kind of, in a Spider-Man against, you know, Bonecrusher Smith sort of way, yeah. kind of dances around him and pretty much clowns him, to be honest with you. Yeah. The question then at the end is, is he going to kill him or not? And I think that there's a reluctance on Paul's part initially, too. Well, Javier's rules of combat are only one can leave alive, like, so there's no walking away from it. So I'm curious what you think about that. So, I mean, I've laid out, I think that we find mm-hmm. he's finally a capable fighter in, in the right moment and protecting himself and his mother's honor. and Because basically, he takes the arms up mm-hmm. to protect his mother's honor. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're going to sacrifice her or feed her to a worm, but she's she's about to go. And one thing we, because there's so many details in this story, Paul figures out really early on that she's pregnant. <laughs> right. Yeah. And she barely knows. Uh, she hasn't told. I don't think she ever tells Oscar Isaac, actually. Mm-hmm. So here she is with child. Uh, he knows because of their kind of psychic, psychic bond. Um, but you're right here. He is trying to protect her. And what she really wants the Fremen to do for Paul is get him off world, get him back to home Caladan. And that way he can get his resources there and, you know, drum up the fight. And Paul's very adamant about like, no, this is, this is where we're at now. This is, this is the fight. But to answer your question, I think, no, I think this is huge. It, 
he would be hesitant. I mean, Paul hasn't killed anybody in his life so far. So why would he be so gung-ho to do it right now? So A, he's going to have to put that behind him because in order to win the fight that they're going to have to fight, there's going to be some casualties. So he's got to get over to that. But he's also got to prove that he's a formidable fighter. Um, and you're right. He kind of does clown this this guy. And it's the way he dances around him. And we see the proficiency with him. I think this is a great moment for mm-hmm. him. This is a growing up moment for him to, A, take a life, and B, show I am someone that can be trusted and the Fremen can put stock in me as a valuable asset. He's trying to redo those He's trying to do those boardroom uh, negotiations just here in the desert now. Yeah. And especially when it matters. I mean, Javier Bardem comes in earlier in the film, and he's very lukewarm to the whole negotiations. And he's like, I know how you people treat us, and you give, and then you take, and, and this and that. So he wants to assure them that it'll be different this time, that I know we'll really help each other out. But what do you think? Where's your stance? I've seen that moment in the gladiatorial arena a lot where gladiator, gladiator A, who's usually the main character, calls the overseeing governmental diplomats bluff. I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that over and over. I think in the world of Dune, it's important that Paul does learn how to do that because I don't think this is a place where sincerity or kindness or compassion are going to get you very far. So he needs to, if you want to use this term, sharpen his own blade mm-hmm. for what's coming. And I think Jameis serves as the blade sharpener for him. Uh, we'll see how that plays out going forward. I mean, obviously he's not going to die right away because we know that he's eventually going to have to lead some charge against Harkonnen and mm-hmm. the Emperor. Yeah. But you can see, I just, I think it's it's interesting that you see the reluctance in him wanting to finish Jameis off. Like, look, man, this is a capable fighter. And are you sure we have to do this? Yeah. And then you get stuck with part of the other issue in this. And this is something we also didn't talk much about. And it's the trap of tradition. Mm-hmm. That stupid hand in the box. Yeah. If he pulled that out, we lost a really great fighter. Mm-hmm. Um this insistence on legacy must be from you. It must be female to ascend the Ben, uh, whatever the hell the name of that, those Jesuits. The Benny Jesuit. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Jesuit. There's not a lot of, well, maybe there's a different way forward. And just because we've done it this way for so long, doesn't maybe mean it's the best way, mm-hmm. but I think we're starting to play around a little bit in this story with what the tradition of all of this means. And if you're going to make a story based on fiefdom and feudal, like high middle age political Mm -hmm. kingdoms, and then add to it essentially an imperialistic take on an island, which is or or planet, the acquisition of spice for use A or B, wellness or travel, all of that traditional stuff seems to play but maybe because Paul has that moment of, I want to do this, but then has to. And maybe because Paul isn't female born, but seems to be the leader of the next round of Benny Jesuits, maybe. Mm-hmm. Although mom is pregnant now too, so we'll see how that plays. But maybe we're also, for the second part of the film, setting up 
the idea that we need to break tradition in order to end this broken legacy. Sure, yeah. So, yeah, that's my really long answer to that question you gave me. But we've also seen Paul's qualities really come to the forefront as well. Not only his fisticuffs abilities, but also his strategizing as well. Like, when they first put on those Fremen suits, like, he was the only one that knew how to, like, lace up the boots properly to allow for proper airflow. And the lady's like, how did you know how to do that? He's like, it just seemed like the right way to do it youtube yeah yeah youtube that's what the youths would say today <laughs> uh but he knows how to do that and then later when they're at that like fremen uh like underground you know hiding place he's already kind of coming up with a plan of this is how we could take down the emperor it doesn't have to be with you know fighting it's like he's got a daughter i can make a play for the throne make her fall in love with me and then I can take over his throne. Like, I, I, there's a way to do it without the loss of life. So you see him churning and thinking about different ways and things to do. Yeah. And spoiler alert, I'm going to let you know that that character who he's referring to is going to play a big part in part two. Mm-hmm. So that's in play. But, no, this, this is a great moment for him. It's, you know, it's he's also learning honor and respect. And if... Javier Bardem's rules of only one must exit. He's like, well, I'll abide by that. I mean, it's growing up for me. In the book, I think he's portrayed as like 15, 15, 16 years old. So mm. he's a really young young man here who hasn't, he's not even in full adulthood yet. Mm. Being thrust with the burden of his house seal. That's another big thing. Like, I like that everything is house Atreides, house Harkonnen. You know, the weight of that the weight of your family's name that you must now represent, like pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so one kind of prophecy and it, the movie's about to end here in just a second, uh, is this vision of him dying, getting killed. And it says Paul Atreides must die in order for the Heiswick Haderach <laughs> to rise. That can mean a couple different things. I mean, just because I know what's coming forward, essentially what that's going to be is Paul Atreides has to die. His old self, his name, his family crest, because he's got to become something else in order to fully realize his potential. So the visions might be visually lying, but the what they're speaking to us isn't. That's going to have to happen. Uh, it'll be interesting to see you know, how that Denny Villeneuve decides to you know go about doing that. Uh, the last shots we get of, of this film are, you know, them leading out the desert. My path goes through the desert, so we're going to see where that takes us. And, you know, he sees kings over there with full control over one of these sandworms. And seeing now what Dad said all the way back at the beginning of the film about desert power. If we can learn the harshness of the environment, if we can weaponize the threat that the planet faces, and we have a leg up on our enemy... We have that compared, and then what I have back home, we have a shot. Yeah. We just got to get out of here now. <laughs> right, so, right. Um, Zendaya says this is just the beginning, like your path is just like kind of cool, and then we just fade out on Zimmer's great music, and thankfully this film has made enough in Warner Brothers' eyes, and great, part two was greenlit last week, 2023, so we get to see this story conclude, mm-hmm. at least, <laughs> and then... Past that, we'll, we'll have to kind of wait and see on the numbers, but... Um, so it gets moving to television in some series. I always, you know, they always try with TV movie, but you almost kind of think something on HBO could have suited this format as well, or as dense as the material is. Yeah. 
But if the films are popular enough, I mean, why not? I mean, yeah. if, if there's an audience there that wants to continue with this world and this story, then by all means, you have to go to the theater and see it to prove that. But uh, Did you say that it was just greenlit last week? Yeah, it was greenlit last week. Because yeah. I was reading that they actually had greenlit it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it did finally get greenlit. Yeah, it was okay. last Tuesday, Legendary Picture did a post saying part two coming 2023. Okay. So, that, yeah, that it's done enough on their end to say, let's go back. Let's, we got to finish it. How frustrating, you know, would that be if we weren't getting that? Because just, this is it. <laughs> this is all we got. I bet you looked. What was the cost of this film? How much of this? Tip? Okay, so this is surprising too, and I think other franchises and genre films need to go to school on this. So this was like one fifty. Wow. Compared to like Marvel stuff is like three hundred million, like wow. minimum now. Like they were able to. Those air them. battles are expensive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those riding dragons is expensive. Yeah. Uh, they were able to make a wholly unique world for. Not a lot compared to today's money standards. So mm. they didn't break the bank trying to make this film. So the return on investment, you know, huge can pay off. Yeah. Um, my questions to you, and then I, uh, I have a couple questions for you, but just one last thought here uh, before leaving. Um, you know, you know what you know about Dune and the Lynch version, and and that. What's something you do want to see in the next entry? What was laid? What groundwork was laid here that you want to see pay off in the next film? What the Emperor looks like? Okay, yeah. I really want to see him. We're going to see that. Because if Stellan Skarsgård's character, Mr. Harkonnen, looks like he looks, I would imagine they're probably going to up their stakes with the Emperor. Mm-hmm. Maybe. So I'm really curious to see that. Okay. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. Um, you know, I just kind of want to see the, the desert transition to full fight of re- reclaiming your stance in the galaxy. I saw how it was done in the Lynch version, but I'm really curious to see how, how that's done here. Yeah. Denny Villeneuve's version. But what was your favorite tasting note of Dune? Boy, that's tough. Um, I have mine. Uh, mine's that whole Armada attack on the city. Like, it's good, it's yeah. shocking. It was... I gotta tell you, I saw this, I saw this in the IMAX uh, screens, and that, that whole scene was assaulting to the senses it was so loud the music like i felt like i was there like i felt like i was on the ground with those soldiers and i was just like wow like i'm just like being like bombarded by the, the oppression of house Harkon, and it was kind of a cool experience mm-hmm. so that whole play out and how they have to sneak out and use their benny jesuit telepathy, uh, telepathy to get them out of their their bindings um i thought it was all really really cool Ooh, man. it's either Oster, Oscar Isaac's um, paralysis, but Oster, Oscar Isaac's paralysis with the hunter stalker. I get it right. Mm-hmm. Or it's the final, I think it's the final battle between Paul and James. Yeah. That's just really cool. I think that the movie, I wouldn't say it was sleepy. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it was slow. Yeah. But I would say that there wasn't a ton of, oh, actually, then there's actually, you know what there, hold on, let me back up. Actually, it's neither one of those. Okay. How about that? Third okay. one. It's after Paul and his mother have been abducted. Okay. And they stage that voice takeover mm-hmm. of that crab. Yeah. 
we finally get the payoff on that. I thought that was really cool. And it was set up, like you said, really well with the... This one's deaf. Yeah, so your voice isn't going to work on this one because he's deaf, but it will work on these other ones. Your pitch needs to be a little different. So cool. And then they're able to dispose of them really efficiently. So I've, Okay, so there was three, but I'm going to go with the final one on the cracked. You're right, though. It's like, don't, don't expect Star Wars when you sit no. down to watch Dune. Like, it's not this action-packed, like lasers and fights and this and that there's a few moments here but it's mostly just living in the world mm -hmm. and just getting a footing on what they're trying to establish yeah um what's your oh my God! moment of dune mine mine's gonna be the first time and i have a clip that i forgot to play here we get so carried away with talking i forget about our audio mm -hmm. but i'll play it here if the Duke's son lives, now our traitors will live. My lord, you gave your word to the witch. She sees too much. I said I would not harm them, and I shall not. But Arrakis is Arrakis, and the desert takes the weak. My desert. My Arrakis. My Duke. He's just like levitating up this bulbous mass with his drapes. Ooh, like oh, it's just hideous. Jabba. It's so Jabba. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe George Lucas needs some like lawsuits coming his way because Dune came out in like nineteen like sixty two. Yep. Star Wars came out like a whole fifteen years later, and there's some. It's not identical, but there's some stuff where I was like, oh, it's kind of like Star Wars. <laughs> so like between the Hidden Fortress and Dune. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah some people they need better entertainment lawyers. The first attack is, I think, what I'm going to say. Okay. Um, and the first attack of the sandworm on the, the mining. The crawler. Yeah. Yeah. They feel heavy. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have something that big, they need to have volume and mass and weight. And I think that the, the way the sand responded mm -hmm. to the emergence of the worm felt like it had enough weight to move. Think about that. Mm -hmm. Sand doesn't move easy. Yeah. And if it's falling and collapsing and waving and caverning, that worm is carrying a lot of weight and power with it. Yeah. Just, I, I thought that aesthetic was so cool. Excellent. Excellent. What is, who's the master distiller on Dune? We both have the same one here, don't we? Are you going to give it to Zimmer? Well, first Hans Zimmer's music is really great. I would even go as far as to say this might be one of his like top five best scores he's ever done. Like this thing is so unique. The, the chanting, the the you know the percussion that he brings, and then when he decides to bring the horn, it has like almost like a, an electronic guitar with it too. Mm -hmm, yeah. I'll play a little bit here in a second, but really good score. Mm -hmm. Not gonna give it to him. I gotta give it to Denny Villeneuve. Yeah, this guy, him and Nolan, man, they're like they're making us see why films need to be seen on in theaters. Yeah, for in a, in a year when. Man, you, you and I have hard, had a hard time with all this HBO Max stuff and the Disney streaming stuff and all the fighting about that format and the varying levels of quality. Two filmmakers pushed back harder than anyone, and it was these two guys, mm -hmm. proving why theaters need to stay alive mm -hmm. and why our films need... And we were... Tenant was a bit lukewarm from us, but I don't think we ever faulted it on, on ambition and scope. Right. Uh these two guys are changing the game. It ain't Spielberg. It's not Scorsese. It's not anything Marvel's doing. It's like these two guys are pushing the envelope of 
what films can be. Like they, they making them feel larger than life, like they should. Yeah, uh, I gotta get. He's my. They're they're my two favorite filmmakers today. Villeneuve's last few films, Prisoners or uh, Sicario, Arrival. I didn't love Enemy, but it wasn't terrible. The one with Gyllenhaal with his doppelganger. Mm-hmm. Then Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and now this. This guy's hitting it out of the park for me. Yeah, that's my choice too. Yeah. Um, it, the act, there's some good acting performances. Um, the handling of what could be a disaster. Because this film could be a disaster. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's him. If the property of Dune was laid out in front of you, oh, well, we would be like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go, yeah. But imagine just having that book thrown in front of you and be like, adapt it. Adapt it. Kind of overwhelming, you know what I mean? Like, What's the next thing in your mouth? How long do I have? Yeah, how long do I have? Is this a month thing? Like, am I lock- Is this a lock myself in a hotel room situation? Like, what are we working with here? But absolutely ambitious. They've called this book the unfilmable novel for years because it's just so dense. It has to be two movies. Lynch tried and he, it's too much cramming. Mm-hmm. Like cramming for an exam. Yeah. How are you going to rate and grade Dune? We have Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. What are you going with? Single Barrel. It's a wildly unique science fiction film and a genre that is exhausted right now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's handled in a really interesting way without a whole lot of lasers and guns and fighting. There's a little bit of that. Yeah. But um, this is a wholly unique vision of a story that is, as you said, dense and thick Mm -hmm. and layered. And to be able to pull that out into what we can see as, look, it's not a simple story. It's a fairly complex story, but the, the, the pieces of beginning, middle, and end for the first part of the film are there. Yeah, it, uh, I think this is a really, really unique moment in filmmaking. You looking forward to part two? I am. Yeah. Yeah. We have to wait a bit, but at least it's coming. Mm. I'm going top shelf, Matt. Good for you. Uh, well, I knew I was looking forward to this because, you know, I was a fan of the book. I'm a fan of the filmmaker, and I just wanted to see it come together and seen this movie three times already once in the theater twice at home and it gets better each time like i love being able to just get in the weeds with what they're talking about all these terms my glossary of dune terms and just being like Mm -hmm. what are they talking about and like what does that lead to like really getting like into it with them and the uniqueness of the world and we already kind of alluded to the fact what makes this so unique for me and just kind of not only, I think this is also, and we could have differing opinions on this, I think this is the best new release we've ever done on the show. Mm-hmm. Like, not the best movie we've done, because we've done some classics, but the best new in-theater movie, like, this is my new number one for me. Oh, you're forgetting Pet Cemetery. Oh, am I, am I forgetting Serenity as well? <laughs> I'd have to go back and look at the list. I mean, it's only 170 episodes. Yeah. But, uh... Okay, uh, I think there's sure a case shame, to be made. Sure shame, Rise of Skywalker. That's for sure. It ain't Godzilla versus Kong. Mm-hmm. So not a not a great list, but it's it's up there. Yeah, uh, I am so thankful in a world where I am just exhausted with superheroes, mm-hmm. Marvel, DC, Star Wars, and the colossal disaster that that has kind of been with Disney, with a few glimmers like Mandalorian and Rogue One. Mm-hmm. We like Last Jedi, but it's mostly been a huge miss. Yes, yeah. Uh, that here we have genre science fiction that isn't any of those things. It's untapped property that 
is now being given its just desserts, I am all here for it. I think I came to the, the conclusion also that horror is my favorite film genre. Mm-hmm. But I think science fiction is number two. Like, I like when it's heady. I like when it's confusing because it makes me want to go and figure it out. That's the repeat viewings. That's reading about it after the fact. So Good, so we're doing Solaris next week. Oh, yeah, that'd be right. Talk about <laughs> yeah, not. getting in the weeds, but... Yeah. Um, wow, really? So that you're at a place where that's number two on your list now? The, the, the genre. Science, yeah, yeah, yeah. science fiction, yeah. Huh. I think, yeah, just between, like, you know, Godzilla and... Yeah. I do, I'm a big Star Wars guy, but I really like that you can just live in a world and just kind of be, like become a part of it and it's just exciting and I just love that it's not a superhero I'm glad for you because I know that this was a movie you were really looking forward to and I'm glad that we finally had one that came well I guess No Time to Die you liked as well yeah um, Yeah, I was just waiting for October and you know Halloween Kills bananas as hell yeah good film we both had a good time watching it so maybe we were just waiting for October (laughs) you had a good month we had a good month here's my question to you and then we'll get to the nightcap this is Warner Brothers. Mm. We've been hard on Warner Brothers this we year. Yeah. Is this enough to save the slate, or is this at least a step in the direction of we need more of this? Um, I'm going to say it's not enough to slay, to save the slate, yeah. but I will say if this is a uh, appetizer into the upcoming year. We're then, in good shape. You know, it's funny. I'm going to bring this up one more time. Okay. Yeah. Today, maybe another time, some other point. We talked a lot about when Warner Brothers announced they mm-hmm. were going to move all of their films to streaming. Yeah. At this point, I think I'm 75% on the side of they knew what clunkers they had. Yeah. And they decided if we can monetize this trash through the streaming service without big critical analysis, typical theater, yeah. Roger Ebert kind of reviews. Yeah. Maybe we can salvage something from what is a disastrous look at year. Because if you remember, yeah. and this is the point I'm going to make, like the, this is my evidence. Mm-hmm. They bumped everything to streaming except this film. Yeah. And they moved this way to the end because yeah. they wanted a theatrical release. By the end, then somewhere down, they got bumped back to streaming too. So, yeah, I wonder. I, I think I'm with you. Like, I, I don't know how you wouldn't be an executive in the screen rooms of this slate and you're just sitting there for Godzilla Kong. You're sitting there for Wonder, conjuring. Your Wonder Woman 84. The, yeah, Conjuring 3, Snyderverse, which isn't a part of it, but kind of was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. Space Jam, A New Legacy. Oh, Jesus. This Sopranos movie that came out. I don't know how you weren't sitting for all these films and just be like, movies are kind of bad. And we need to just get them out because we can't keep delaying stuff. We need to get things out eventually. Yeah, just get them out on the service. And what a great advertisement for your service. Hey, you can watch this new release movie at home. And I'm still saying that that's still a great service regardless of their model. Their movie selection is fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not enough to save the Warner Brothers year for me, but this is what I want from the company. I want stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Ambition. Mm -hmm. Scope. Yep. Trying. Yeah, yeah, try it. Yeah, with that, let's head to our nightcap.
Hans Zimmer also had a, a busy one because he did Bond, and then he did this film as well, which they were all done last year, mm-hmm. all this music, but busy dude. Yeah, busy <laughs> dude. Yeah. The Nightcap, Dune, based on a book series, it's so many books deep, and it'll be interesting to see how many of those we get adapted based on you know the return on investment, but... Is there a book series out there that has, A, either never been done before, or B, has been done, but they botched it, that you want to see, not given the Dune treatment, but get its just desserts on screen? Yeah, there is. Okay. Uh, We've talked about it, and I love most of this series. It gets a little bit wonky. Did I mention it when we talked on the phone? You did. Okay, good. Then you said it was the first thing in my mind. How could it not be? How could it not be? Uh, It's the Dark Tower. Yeah. For all the starts and stops and restarts and what they eventually put out, which was just a steaming pile of excrement. Well, you want to talk about a terrible movie. That Dark Tower one with McConaughey and Idris Elba is awful. Mm. And it shouldn't be awful with those two. That's great casting. And the the concept is really solid. Mm. And for all of the, we don't know how to shoot it. I don't know if I buy that. Because I've read the books. The book is the script. You could make the first book. I don't know. That that seems like a terrible argument nowadays when computers can essentially do anything. Yeah. How can it be unfilmable when you can just render in a computer? Agreed. So I'm going to go with The Dark Tower. Now, there's some missteps in The Dark Tower a little bit later, too, and that has a lot to do with drugs and Stephen King. But those first four and a half to five books are super, super, super good. You think that could be fixed with a good screenwriter? For sure. Could he, like, massage it into something that... Yeah, to where, to where Stephen King doesn't write himself into the story. I, <laughs> what? Yes. As a character? Yes. Ooh. Uh, no, not a... What, what is that, a, a creep show? Yeah. Ear shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't make him be in movies, please. All right, Dark Tower for me. What do you got? Um, The same. Well, I mentioned on the phone to you uh, what would have been my answer uh, if this wasn't coming out was Amazon uh, in two weeks has a new series coming out called The Wheel of Time, and... This was the closest book series I could find that is in tone and scope to Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. I've read four of them, but you want to talk about more dense books? Like, they take me forever to finish. But it's getting a show coming out in two weeks on Prime. Rosamund Pike's in it. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays out and if they get more because it's a cool story. Cool. That would have been my answer. But I am going this week with – I have two and I have a, I have a – Honorable mention as well. Hang on, i got to go to my notes real quick. Okay. Um, but the series is the Aubrey Matron series. You will know this as Master and Commander. Mm-hmm. They made uh, that movie with Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany played the two characters. This series is like 21 books deep. And it's all about nautical adventures in the Napoleonic Wars. Cool. Uh, yeah, it could be really cool. But they only made that one. Never tried again. So... I think maybe not – it would work really good as a TV series, but I think they could do it on film as well. So that's the one I want to see. They have so much source material to derive from, and there's something about, like, stuff at sea. I know it's expensive to yeah. film at sea. Yeah. <laughs> Just go film in the Universal tank in the back lot. Exactly. Uh, I think you could have some fun with, with that series. Uh, and it's historically based, so it's not like Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, they're really deriving from real battles that people partook during that time. If you cast it well, if you got like a Benedict Cumberbatch in there with like, I don't know, like maybe Dan Stevens or something like that, like I think you could have a pretty cool little series. So good choice. My honorable mention, and this has been in the Devo hell for like the last twenty years, uh, Akira. 
They made an anime of it, and I wouldn't call that a failure. That's actually a really great anime, but that's a manga series that's like eight books deep. Tell me you can't make that into another film, science fiction, scope, scale, and make it look cool? They could do it. Yeah. So that's my honorable mention. But I have one honorable mention, but it's not a book. Okay. Resident Evil. Oh, yeah. The game. There's a new movie coming out. That needs to be completely restarted from the ground up with like a real cast that's not, was it Rebecca Romijn? No, uh, Mila Jovovich. Same difference, right? <laughs> like, actually, like you said earlier, just try this time when you do it. Well, we might have to go check that film out because it's coming out, I think, the day before Thanksgiving. It's called Welcome to Raccoon City, and it's an adaptation, I think, of games one and two. Let's hope. And then if they can get to, like, the good ones, which is four, mm-hmm. and, like, that series, survival horror action-based. And then, and we, I don't know if you've played, but the seventh one is essentially like a Bayou Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Like, yep. that, I want to see that on screen. Heck, yeah. This has been a long road to get to do, not only in the production of it, but in the delaying and the HBO Max releasing of it. So I'm glad we finally got to talk about it and we at least liked it. No kidding. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, but talking about superheroes and our exhaustion of them and, oh, here we go again. Giddy up because next week we're taking a trip back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Eternals. Mm -hmm. We talked on the phone. We mentioned two things. One, I mentioned to you this is the lowest reviewed uh, movie on Rotten Tomatoes in the entire MCU. Not even the depths of Thor the Dark World or Iron Man 3 or Age of Ultron or all that shit we hate Mm. ever got as low as this film has gone. So, okay, I'm nervous. Yeah. But B... Who's ever read a flippin' Eternals comic book? Right. <laughs> Scraping the bottom of the barrel. And is this where we're at now? Praying for Alpha Flight. Oh, geez. In a war- in a year when we got Black Widow, mm-hmm. which was a kind of a huge miss for us. Yeah. Shang-Chi, which was Oof. kind of another huge miss for us. Yeah. Here's Strike 3, and then Strike 4 is coming out in December. Mm. Uh and then, not to pepper in Loki, Winter Soldier, like, man, you and I are not in a good space with Marvel Entertainment right now. No, it's been troubling. So, have we kind of need this one to, like, be good. And when the everything's against it right now, ah, oh, this is going to be a tough climb up the hill. So, I'm, ner- I'm nervous, actually. <laughs> I hear you. It's going to be um, an interesting show next week because... Man, are we going to continue this, this path forward? Because from everything that Feige said... And this is also getting to be pretty maddening. Like, we're sitting through the movie to get the post credit scene that's almost more anticipatory than the film is in some regards. Exactly, yeah, yeah. That's getting to be... That's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Make a movie. Yeah. I don't want to spoil anything, and and you kind of know one of the two already, but... There's supposed to be something pretty explosive in one of these two scenes. I need at the end something. Of the film. I mean, I'm flatlining here. Like, but that, that, I mean, I don't want to sit through a two-hour movie for that either, though. And it's like 2.30, isn't it? 2.37? Oh Why? God. I'm probably going to fall asleep. <laughs> Why? I know. Okay, anyway, we're not trying to be negative ahead of time. We're just saying all the elements in place here. We're going to put them in a blender, make a little bourbon stew, and we're going to drink it next week. Yeah. <laughs> so... And then the week after that, oh, we'll wait till next week to announce that one, but I'm not looking forward to that one either. Right, right. <laughs> but this was a lot of fun to get in the weeds with Dune, so cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers. Hit us up on any of the social media platforms or Productions at gmail.com. Hit up the T Public. There's a lot of great merch there. Get your coffee mugs, get your pillows, get your shirts. 
I think they could do sweaters too. So now that the weather's getting colder, I think you can do just like a pullover sweater. So nice. Yeah, rep that for the the, the upcoming holidays. Mm-hmm. And until then, I gotta get going. I'm gonna go back to my terms of glossaries because I just can't get enough of this shit. So I'm gonna get into the weeds with that. But I need to finish the book first. What's the matter with me? <laughs> I'm gonna go home and tackle the sandbox in my backyard. That thing needs to go, although I'm a little worried about making too many noises in it. Yeah. Got to keep the neighborhood safe. Look out for graboids or sandworms. We'll see you next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Dune is property of Warner Brothers Pictures and Legendary Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. That's your power. This is only the beginning.